we turn together to Joshua chapter 2 and also Matthew 1, 1 through 5. Today is the first official Sunday of Advent, those Sundays in preparation, of course, for the Lord's birth. And we don't always have a long series of Advent, but this year we are looking at the women in Jesus' genealogy, seeing what they teach us about our need for a Savior, being reminded of God's promises in His covenant of grace. So we look at a very interesting passage today, children. Joshua 2. Hear now the word of God. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I do not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them. Quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we came into the land, 
When we come into the land, rather, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Matthew 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nation, and Nation, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. From the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 3, Satan has waged war against God and his people. We see this with Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his murderous brothers, like we saw last week. This reminds us that the seed of the serpent is behind many of the troubles that struck Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the twelve tribes. Satan's influence is there in their afflictions. After the Israelites came to Egypt, they fall under the control of an evil, genocidal pharaoh who attempts to eradicate the Israelites by killing all of their male children. Satan is behind that. And yet through it all, God is building his church. He has promised the seed of the woman will come to crush the head of the serpent, And he preserves a baby in a basket, children. And in the midst of that, raises up that baby, who is Moses, to lead his people in the Exodus out of slavery in Egypt toward the Promised Land. They cross the Red Sea. God does a miracle. He is powerful and mighty. And 40 years after that Red Sea crossing, we are here now on the edge of the Promised Land, in the book of Joshua. Moses has died at age 120. His grave is unmarked, but God's promises haven't died. He raises up Joshua 
the successor to Moses, to lead his people into the promised land. And it's in that context that we meet one of the most unlikely of women in all the Bible. A woman that one person says is mentioned next to Sarah the second most amount of times in the New Testament. That's astounding. Her name is Rahab. She comes up not only in Matthew 1, but in Hebrews 11, in James 2. Why is she here? What does this mean for us today? We're going to ask those questions as we are reminded of the second woman in Jesus' genealogy, from Tamar to Rahab. Rahab who lives by faith. Rahab who points us to God's faithful promises in a chapter full of spies and war and all sorts of kids' fantastic things. God is the center here. First, what does Rahab teach us about God's astounding grace? At this point in redemptive history, Israel has come to the land. God had promised them this land way back in Genesis 15. God said to Abraham, I will give you seed, offspring, and land. But the land is occupied by who, children? The Canaanites. They're big. They're strong. They're so strong that no one thinks that there's any possibility of overthrowing them. And yet what God said to Abraham was, when the iniquity of the Amorites is complete, the Canaanites are among the Amorites, 430 years later, I will deliver you into this land. Well, that has happened. The Canaanites had progressed to be as evil as possible. They're given over to their lust and their wickedness. Their cruelty and their hatred had ripened so that they are beyond the point of repentance. They are of the kingdom of the devil, the offspring of Satan. And in this context, Joshua is told by God four times, don't be scared. Three times, be strong and courageous. Joshua, who first appeared as a commander directing Israel against the Amalekites in Exodus 17, now is called upon by God to prepare the people. He sends the commanders forth. They're based in Shittim. That's a Hebrew word from the word acacia trees. But more importantly, Shittim is where Israel had previously succumbed to idolatry and immorality, both sexual and spiritual. Prostitution with the Baals of Peor and the Moabite devotees, Numbers 25. That's where they are right here on the edge of the promised land, the eastern side. The Jordan River is right now in the midst of flood season. They've got to cross a flooding river and face a city, a city called Jericho. Joshua is wise. He sends forth two spies. Isn't that interesting? 38 years earlier or so, Moses sent 12 spies to the land. Ten of them panicked. These guys are giants. We're not going in there. Two of them trusted God, Caleb and Joshua. Here is Joshua sending two spies to check out what he's up against. 
What they're facing is the oldest city known to civilization, Jericho. It had stood for thousands of years prior to this point. This is around 1400 BC, the Iron slash Bronze Age. They're ruled by a king. Do you notice that? That means he has military power. The city has a water supply within. The city's on a hill. It's on the edge of the entrance to the promised land. If you want to enter this land, you've got to go through Jericho. There's no other way in. And they are defended with walls, inner walls and outer walls, so big that there's houses on top of the walls and inside the walls. Into Jericho the spies go. They enter the house of a woman named Rahab. The Bible says she's a prostitute. She's a Canaanite. They don't go there to commit sin, but to hide. The strategy, though, fails. These guys are not James Bond. They're not Jason Bourne. This might be the first time they've tried to be spies, and they are inept they're not good spies. Immediately they enter and they're found out. The king of Jericho knows they're there. He sends secret police, go and get them. They're in Rahab's house. So there they go. And it looks like it's all over. But Rahab astonishingly hides them in stalks. That's what linen was made of. On a roof which was flat. And she tells them, nope, they're not here. you got to go find them. They've left. Go out of the city. We're not going to talk here about what she said. That's a great lunchtime discussion. Or you can talk to me afterwards about what's going on here with Rahab's deception and lie. It's a military situation. There's a lot else going on. But what David Strain tells us is really remarkable. They buy it. The secret police of the king of Jericho believe what she says and they don't search her house. Think about that. They know she's there, but they don't go in. It's like in Star Wars. Obi-Wan Kenobi says, these are not the droids you are looking for. And everyone just moves along, no second thought, no pushback. Or, as one man says, there's a a number of stories of a man who smuggled Bibles into Iron Curtain countries before the fall of communism. He would leave Bibles open on the back seat of the car and the secret police wouldn't see him. What's going on here? The sovereign providence of God. God can hide incompetent spies God can blind the eyes of spy catchers. God's in charge. We're not. And the men of Jericho believe her. They go the wrong way to the fords of the Jordan, meaning that's where you would cross the river. It's flood season. They thought they would get there to cut the spies off before they left. And you can hear verse 7. The gates are shut. Which means the spies are trapped inside the city. The story breaks after verse 7. The spies are hid. 
everything slows down. And you wonder, what will happen next? It's one reason that we are to read the Bible with the eyes of a child as if we're hearing this for the first time. Why does Rahab do this? Why did she hide them at the risk of her own life? Because at that moment it seemed not a chance of one in a million that anything would possibly happen that Israel would take over Jericho. Why does she do it? Scripture interprets Scripture. Hebrews 11 tells us why. By faith. She says in verse 9, I know that the Lord, the covenant name of God, Yahweh, has given you the land. This hasn't happened yet. Jericho hasn't fallen yet. But she knows that God gave it to them. I heard about what God did drying up the Red Sea. That was 40 years prior to this. I know about Moses and Og and Sihon, those Amorite kings east of the Jordan. I know that they went down, that they were devoted to destruction, he says, the language of God bringing judgment upon them. I know that God is in heaven above and on the earth beneath. She professes faith in the one true God of Israel. Remarkable. How did she know? Do you ask that question? People speculate maybe because it's a house of prostitution and merchants would travel into the city. Maybe she heard from them. Maybe she heard this when the spies were there, however long they were there. Word has gotten into Jericho of what God has done. She knows. And there are only two responses for any of us when we know of what God has done. Trusting God by faith or shrinking back in fear? Others in Jericho know about this God too, but they're afraid. Their hearts are melting in fear. They're fighting against God and his will and his purposes. But Rahab, the Spirit of God's at work in her heart. She hears the word of God. She trusts in God by faith. And she enters into a covenant with these spies using the word hased, a Hebrew word meaning God's faithful, loyal, loving kindness that endures forever. That word is on her lips. I am showing you kindness, she says to these spies. I'm protecting you. I want you to protect me. I know God has given you this land. Here's how to escape you got to go out my window. But I need a sign, a covenant sign, that I'll be safe and the people in my house will be protected. Give me a sign. What's the sign, children? The scarlet cord. We don't want to allegorize the cord. <laughs> but does it remind you of some other things? One man says, yeah, it probably reminds you a little bit of what just happened 40 years before. The exodus, the blood on the door, the red blood, is that at least reminding them of that? Maybe a red cord, that those who have faith inside this house with this cord on the outside are being protected by God? There's another textual connection. 
I don't want to make too much of this, but the same word for the red cord that was tied around Zerah's arm or leg, born to Tamar, remember that last week? Same word used here again. We don't want to read too much into these things, but we do understand this. Rahab agrees. They enter a covenant. The spies go down the wall, and they run for the hills. Rahab trusts God by faith. And her faith, James 2 says, is a living, active faith. When James wants to talk about a faith that is genuine, a faith that is fruitful by the Spirit of God, he brings up Abraham and Rahab. Abraham showed that his faith was real when he was willingly ready to offer his son Isaac a demonstration of his faith. So too Rahab, she risks everything here. If they find out in Jericho she is a traitor, she's probably killed. She risks losing her family, her life, because why? She knows there is one God in Israel, Yahweh. She knows that she's in a military situation in Jericho. But she trusts in the Lord, and that's what saving faith does. It doesn't just think about God, but it runs to God for refuge. God, you are my refuge. God, you are my strength. I am weak. I'm afraid. Help me. I need you, God. Every moment you are near, that's what she does. Faith is not just intellectual. It's a hearty trust. And then Joshua 2 ends where it began, with the spies. The story broke. Now it returns to where the spies are. What will happen? Well, the spies, after three days in hiding, return to Joshua. They give the report. The Lord has given all the land into our hands. All the inhabitants will melt away because of us. How amazingly different this is from the ten spies in Numbers 13, who are Eeyores, Debbie Downers, negative, negative, no way, God won't do it, I don't believe it, it's impossible. By God's grace, these spies believe God. From Rahab to Joshua, secondly, as Paul Harvey would say, what's the rest of the story here? Jericho is on lockdown. No one enters, no one leaves. They are now less than two miles away from the city at Gilgal. In Joshua 3, they carry the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan River. And what does God do again? He parts the waters. The priests are carrying the Ark. They put stones down, 12 of them, to remind the children and the people of God, of God's miraculous power. Here's a sign to build up your faith, Israel. Twelve tribes, twelve stones. They enter the land on the edge of it. The men get circumcised. They hadn't been circumcised in the wilderness. They celebrate the Passover. They eat the fruit of the land. The manna from heaven stops falling for the first time in years. 
Eating that fruit would remind them of the land of Eden, Adam and Eve. It would be sweet and refreshing. Then in Joshua 5, we read one of the most interesting accounts in the Bible. Joshua is near Jericho. He's perhaps checking out the city, the enemy, that the other spies earlier had said, this city is like a wall to heaven. There's no way you're going in. And who does Joshua see that night? A warrior in battle dress, his sword drawn. Joshua calls out to him, Joshua 5.13, are you for us or our enemies? What does he say? No. How's that again? Are you for Israel or are you for Jericho? No. Who is this mysterious figure? Joshua worships him. He's told to take off his sandals. The place he's standing is holy ground. The same language God used when he spoke to Moses in the burning bush. Is the commander of the army of the Lord the pre-incarnate son of God? Many say yes, Calvin and others. I think that's probably what's going on here. He says, this commander does, I've delivered you, the Lord. I've delivered this, this city of Jericho into your hands. And then the instructions, children, what did God say to do? How is the city going to be taken? You've got a huge lineup, soldiers, priests, ram's horns, the Ark of the Covenant, more priests, and more soldiers. For six days, you march around the city once. Don't make noise, just the blaring of the horn. On day seven, you march seven times until Joshua tells you to shout. Again, if you're hearing this for the first time, you almost say, you're, you're kidding. That is what will bring down the world's oldest city. Incredible. But they believe God's word. What's the evidence? They obeyed what God said. And so the parade goes. On day seven, kids, has anyone ever said to you, probably not, has anyone said, make as much noise as you can? You're at a Twins game, it's a sellout, and you scream with 40,000 other people as loud as you can. Imagine that noise. The people shout on day seven, and Jericho falls. The first city to fall in Canaan, in covenant history. How does that happen? God does the impossible. The people of Jericho saw a bunch of marchers and horns and a box in the middle of them and thought, that's silly. The key here is the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant is there. Faith sees and trusts the unseen God. God was present with them. God brought down the walls. The overwhelming power comes from God, not from us. So it is for us today. 
as an aside, this is what is called harem warfare, another Hebrew word, sorry, H-E-R-E-M, meaning devoted to destruction. What's going on is Genesis 15. The iniquity of the Amorites is now complete. Israel is not better than those in Jericho. It's because of the wickedness of those in the land God gave them and drove them out. It's not injustice, but the conquest is the highest, most patient justice of God. 430 years of the iniquity of the Amorites. It's not ethnic cleansing. It's a picture of the final judgment. That's what we have in Jericho and the other wars of the Old Testament. At the end of the age, Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. And just as Jericho crumbled at the sound of God's trumpet, the trumpet of God will sound again. It will blast at the return of Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. The Lord will descend from heaven, a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, and the sound of what, kids? The trumpet of God. Seven trumpets in the book of Revelation. If you don't know Christ, the walls will fall. Judgment is coming. At God's set appointed time, the trumpet will sound. Those who don't know Christ will be judged by the wrath of the Lamb. There's only one place of refuge, one place of safety, in Jesus, by faith. What happened to Rahab when those walls fell? The scarlet cord Remember, those spies didn't know the walls would fall when they told her to hang that cord out there. They didn't know what was coming. She's in the outer wall, living in the wall. Her and her family are saved from the judgment of God because of her faith in the Lord. They're protected. They're preserved by the love and grace of God, third how does this chapter in Joshua provide good news for you today? There's something important here about Rahab, God's grace, and the church. Rahab, a member of a cursed Amorite people, outside of the covenant and outside of the people of God, a sinner, joins with God's people. It wasn't that she was saved and then ran away and did her own thing and abandoned the God of Israel. Matthew 1 tells us of a man named Nation, one of the 12 princes who made a special offering at the raising of the tabernacle. Nation was a great prince of Judah, and so was his son, Salmon. Salmon was a leader of Judah. Not only did Rahab trust God, not only did she live in Israel among the church and people of God the rest of her life, but she married this man from Judah named Salmon. 
Was he one of the two spies who came to her house? We don't know. What we do know is that Salmon and Rahab had a son named Boaz. When Boaz was an older man, probably at least 50 or 60 years after the conquest of Jericho, he met a young widow from Moab, also outside the people of God. We don't know if Rahab was still alive when Boaz met and married Ruth, but no doubt he remembered what his mother Rahab had told him. His mother was a Canaanite. His wife was a Moabite. To Boaz and Ruth is born Obed, and then Jesse, and then David. Jesus came from David's line, from Rahab's line, from Tamar's line, from Ruth's line. Jesus had Canaanite and Moabite blood in his family tree. Rahab is an ancestor of Jesus, a mother of Israel's kings, one of the mothers of the king of kings, Jesus himself. Matthew is all about the promises of God for whom? The nations. The magi coming from the east at the birth of Christ. The great commission at the end of Matthew. And even before that, these women in Jesus' genealogy, some of them from outside the covenant people of God. The Abrahamic covenant is moving forward. The covenant of grace is progressing. The nations are being included all the way back in the days of Rahab and still today. Rahab reminds us salvation is not about being Jewish. It's not about having family connections. As thankful as we are for the covenant promises of God to us and our family and our children, it's not about being born to the right people. It's about trusting in Christ personally by faith. Rahab married Salmon in the line of Perez, one of Tamar's twin boys, the son of promise. Joshua 7 gives us another contrast between the Gentile Rahab who trusts God and a member of the covenant community of Israel who doesn't. There was a man named Achan who stole some of the things of Jericho that were to be devoted to destruction. Achan is a son of Zerah, the other child of Tamar. Rahab the Gentile is saved by faith in God. Achan the Jew is judged. God has a people for himself. His elect was there in Jericho. Rahab was among the elect of God. God loved her before the foundation of the world. She's a sinner, and she's saved by grace. You and I are sinners, saved by grace through faith in Christ. What is the church made up of? Sinners, saved by grace through faith in Christ. Maybe you say today, my background is so messed up. My life has been a mess. I've sinned in ways that are beyond Rahab and beyond Judah and beyond 
the worst of the worst. You are not beyond the grace of the kindness of God. No sinner is beyond the grace of God in Christ. The gospel is for sinners. Jesus came to deal with guilt and shame. Maybe you feel shame today because of how you've hurt someone or how someone has hurt you. Jesus came to deal with the messiness and filthiness of families. Jesus identifies with us. We wouldn't want maybe to talk about some of these things in our family history. But Jesus says, no, I've come from this family history. I'm the son of God who became man. I came to save sinners. I am, Jesus says, the greater Joshua. Do you know that that's what Jesus' name is a derivation from? Joshua, which means God is my salvation. Jesus himself is the God who truly saves. Joshua was a sinful man. He needed a savior. He leads the people of God to victory over the Canaanites, prefiguring the coming of Christ, who leads the people of God to victory over whom? Our greatest enemies. What are they? Sin and Satan and death. Through the blood of Christ shed for our sins, through his resurrection from the dead, he is the greater Joshua. He bears our curse in our place. Well, Joshua led the people of Israel into the land God promised them. Jesus, the greater Joshua, will lead us into the heavenly city, a land of pure delight where there are no more tears or suffering or pain, where we will dwell forever in the presence of God. God is faithful. That's what this chapter reminds us. And we are thankful for such a great redemption. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ, the one who knew no sin, who has made sin for us, so that by faith in him, we might become the righteousness of Almighty God. Father, we are astounded at your faithfulness, amazed at your grace. We pray, Father, forgive us for our unbelief. Open our mouths now that we might declare your praise as we join together to sing again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.